Hello, everybody. It is great to be with you today. I um, have been meditating on the book of Exodus this whole year. And um, for me, one of the two things that stands out in uh, the book of Exodus is the idea that God is a big God and that he is a holy God. And um, you see that through all the challenges that Pharaoh gave to God. He is uh, he is a big, big God. He is the creator of the universe. The second thing for me that stands out is that this holy God, this creator of the universe, he wants to be with us. And that's uh, where we see the construction of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Just um, all of the, the trouble that went in it because God is a holy God and he wants to dwell amongst us. But this is not the first tabernacle or temple or sacred space that God created. Um, the first space was the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a temple where, where man, Adam and Eve, dwelt with God. They worshipped God. That's where they were with God. And he was um, with them in the Garden of Eden. But because of sin, they were exiled from the Garden of Eden temple and lived outside of God's presence. But yeah, in Exodus um, 25 is the construction of the tabernacle. And this is where God is going to dwell amongst them for the first time since Eden. This is a remarkable event that for the first time since Eden, God is now um, going through all of this trouble, explaining exactly how it should uh, work, how, how all the rituals that they need to do because he wants to dwell with them. And in the book of Exodus, God reveals himself as a holy God who wants to be with his people and there is a call for people to be holy. And I think that for us is something to meditate on and to think about is to live holy lives before God. And um, this holy uh, lives that we need, we got to understand that we cannot have fellowship with God without uh, living a holy life. In 1 Peter 1 verse 16, there's a call that says, Be holy as I am holy. Holiness is called for so that we can have fellowship with a holy God. And in Christianity, um, we, we, we see how the struggle with sin, um, uh, the struggle of sin that there is in people's lives, but how God made a way by sending Jesus, Emmanuel, the God who is with us to die on the cross so that we can once again have a possibility to live holy lives before God and that he can dwell amongst us. Sin is almost like a lapse in holiness, and it is something that we deal with ruthlessly in our lives. With that background, I want to I wanna focus on Second uh, Chronicles 7 verse 14, a very familiar scripture. And I want to speak on the scripture because um, it felt like the last couple of weeks as if God is constantly reminding me of this scripture. 
This is a very familiar scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will from heaven, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now, this scripture is being used um, completely out of context uh, for the most. Um, it's not a power tool scripture that we use by just saying if we all come together, God is going to heal our land. It's not really the context in which the scripture um, is uh, spoken of. Uh, the context of the scripture is talking to a people, a covenant people, a people who live in a different political system, uh, a theocracy where God rules the people. He is with them and he is the one that they need to obey. Uh, so it's very different to a democracy where everybody just has a say. It is a theocracy where God comes and and he gives a covenant to them. They are a people who live under the Mosaic covenant that God gave to them right there in the book of Exodus. The Mosaic law right there in the book of Exodus. He gave them... Um, these laws that they live by, and these laws has consequences that if they go off and serve other gods into idolatry, that there will be consequences of exile that will come upon them as a people. And here when we are in Chronicles Second uh, Chronicles seven, First Chronicles speaks about David and uh, and his his rule, and Second Chronicles talks about Solomon and how Solomon came and he um, he built the temple, the next sacred space for God. He 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 built a temple for God, the temple that David had the desire of. David brought, because of exile, the the, uh, the ark was with the Philistines and um, the ark got lost often and um, David brought the ark back and uh, Solomon built the temple where the ark will be in and uh, we, at the end of this construction of this temple that Solomon built for God, he prays and he, he asks God, will he come and live once again in this temple? Will, he, will his presence come and dwell amongst his people? And uh, God uh, visits him that evening and says to him, yes, Solomon, I will come. I will come and I will come and live in your temple. But this is a condition. This is the condition for that, that if uh, my people then go and worship other gods, which did happen, um, uh, we saw that later because Solomon had a thousand wives and he built um, temples and worship places for other, his wives' gods, for other gods. So idolatry did happen. Um, and right here God warns him and says, but if my people go off into idolatry, then um, they will be, they will go once again into exile. I, they, they, it will demand the judgment of God that the, of the covenant that was made right there in Exodus, um, that judgment will come upon the people. So um, Moses, uh, uh, we saw Moses um, bring that um, 
to the people and the people agreeing to that. And here in Chronicles with, uh, with Solomon, then uh, God just again just reaffirms that. But Solomon also asked that, um, but if people repent, will you hear them? Will you forgive them? And then God gives this scripture and he says, um, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I will um, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. So it's in that context that this scripture is said after the second temple is built uh, for God and uh, God is saying, if my people turn away from me, but if they turn back to me, I and humble their hearts, pray, seek, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear them. I will forgive them and I will heal their land. So that's the context of this scripture. Now, how can we apply this scripture today? For us, we look at the principles that comes out of this scripture, the principles of humbling, of intercessory prayer, of seeking the face of God, of turning of repentance. What this scripture for me, I think, is talking about or is, um, is it's portraying a heart of God, uh, a heart that says, but I am the only God. I am your only God. There is nothing else to worship but me. It talks about a God. Um, it portrays a God who is looking for, for people who will come and sit before him with a humble heart. Um, a people who will come before him that will worship him in a spirit of truth. This is what the heart of the scripture is what we want to look at. So the first word that I want to highlight out of the scripture is humble. Humility is not a posture or an expression on somebody's face. Humility is an inner awareness of your own frailty. You, humility is a desire to live a transparent life before God and before people. When we humble ourselves, we can acknowledge our weaknesses, our mistakes, our frailty, our brokenness, our need. And that is what God is desiring, that we come before him with a, with a, with a, with a heart of humility. Um, not thinking that we've got it all together because we don't. We, we're a people who needs him, who is completely, completely dependent on him. What opposes humility is pride. Pride pretends, um, it deceives, um, and it covers up. We saw that right in the beginning with Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden when they sinned. They, they covered it up. They, they tried to deceive God. And, and, and we, still, um, we still live with that today. That's still our inclination is wanting to cover up and to pretend that everything is okay and, and to deceive others and ourselves and God. See, and, and, and that pride um, is right there from the beginning when sin was introduced in this world. Therefore, we always struggle with this pride and we, we become enslaved 
to this pride. And we need to deal ruthlessly with pride. Pride is not self-confidence. Or if I operate in my gifts or um, I'm good at something and I'm doing that. That's not what pride is. Because I, I, I use that gifts um, and, and that confidence to build the kingdom of God, to live in my front line and to build the kingdom of God confidently. He has given me as a gift to the body and he's given you as a gift to the body to build the kingdom of God. And to do that confidently, that's not pride. Pride is, not, is choosing not to seek after God or not to acknowledge our total, total dependence on him. Even right there when Moses was standing in front of the Pharaoh and he was, um, uh, 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 when he was standing in front of God and he was disqualifying himself the whole time of why he cannot be the one who's, who's the mediator before the Pharaoh. God is saying to him, but Moses, don't you get this? This is not your battle you're going to fight. This is my battle I am going to fight. Moses was standing there and Moses was a humble man. But he was standing there for that moment, disqualifying himself because of pride in his heart, thinking that he's the one that needs to fight this battle. But, but pride, is um, humility, is that complete understanding of um, I am a broken person standing before God, asking him, Lord, would you come and work your holiness in me? The, ch the chief mark of counterfeit holiness is a lack of humility. And I think in a world that we live in where church and worship has been so commercialized, there's, it's as if holiness has gotten lost and pride enter into the sacred spaces. And there's a call to God that says, will you come and humble your heart and, and will you come and make once again sacred those spaces? Will you come and make once again sacred your heart because you are now the temple in which my son lives? Will you come and make that once again a holy place, a sacred place? There's a call out there of God wanting to restore that sacred space in our hearts. That doesn't mean that there's a divide between us and the world. No, no, no. Right from the beginning, God revealed himself to the Israelites right there in Exodus for the people around them, for the nations. We are called to reflect God's holiness, to reflect his humble heart as a reflection of who he is to the people on our front line and where we find ourselves. There is a call to holiness. There's a call to once again make sacred that um, which the devil has come through pride and arrogance um, brought into our lives. Job 35, 12 says, he does not answer when people cry out because of the arrogance of the wicked. If, you've, if you feel God's conviction um, welcome him in your heart. God will deal with your pride if you are committed to humility, if you are committed to live a transparent, honest, holy life. 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. 
all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. God comes and even in the scripture that says, if I humble myself before the Lord, he will lift me up. We also understand that very wrong. That lifting up that uh, is better understood of he will make us more become like Jesus. It's in the same context of um, Romans 8 that says God will work all things together for those who love him. It's not that everything, now I'm going to be the ruler. Now I'm going to be, everything's going to be fine. No, now I'm going to be become more like Jesus and I will be seated with him in the high places in heaven and that's what that scripture really means. Andrew Murray says this, humility is simply the disposition which prepares the soul for living on trust and every even the most secret breathing of pride in self-seeking Self-will, self-confidence and self-exaltation is just the strengthening of that self which cannot enter the kingdom or poses the things or poses the things of the kingdom because it refuses to allow God to be what he is and must be where um, he is are all in all. So I want to I wanna encourage you out of this scripture. Um, God is looking for people who will come and sit at his feet. An honest heart that will say, Lord, I need you. I come before you, humble my heart before you, seeking your face, understanding that I cannot, I cannot live this world. I cannot face these battles. I cannot do it out of my own. I seek you, come and work your humility in my life. The second word we look at, and I'll go through it quickly, is pray. That there is a call to intercessory prayer. We often talk about God and read the Bible and do all kinds of spiritual rituals, but we don't come to God in prayer. I, th I thought about prayer many times, and what prayer does for us is, is that time where you sit and you close your eyes and you reflect on who God is and who you are in perspective, in that perspective of who he is. And in that time of prayer, if there's things in my life that is wrong, that, that is immediately revealed to me. And, and the, the solution is not to run away and not to pray, but it's actually to lean into prayer is to lean into it and to say, God, I want to lean into this conviction and I want to come to you with this conviction in my heart. I want to pray. I want to, I want to stand not because um, I'm fighting these battles, but because you are the God, the all-powerful God, and you are the one who is fighting these, um, these battles. So in prayer, um, in this context specifically, there's an acknowledgement of sin. In the context of, of Chronicles of this scripture, um, it is an acknowledgement of our personal sin and a plea for God's mercy. Much like David's plea um, in his prayer when he said before God in Psalm 51, 
before God and him alone have I sinned. Prayer is at the heart of worship and there is a call to prayer. Then the third word is to seek, is to seek God's face. A seek is often used um, in desperate situations in which God is the only possible hope for, del- for deliverance. The word seek means aggressively pursue. It is not a laid back kind of attitude. It is to progressively pursue God. When we are with God, um, we seek him. We put our hearts before him. It is when we are weak that God's, uh, that uh, when we are weak, with God, when we when we don't seek Him, that temptation shouts um, aloud in our heads. But it's when we are with God and we are in His presence that temptations become weak. Psalm ten verse four says, um, "In his pride, the wicked man does not seek Him, and all his thoughts, there is no room for God." In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. We need to seek God through prayer, worship, meditating on his word. Jeremiah 29 verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Psalm 63, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. There is a call for us to seek God, to be on our faces before him, to humble our hearts before him, to pray earnestly before him and to seek him. And then the last word is to turn from our wicked ways. Turn here is the Old Testament term for um, uh, repentance. And it is a, uh, it says the same thing as it would say in, in the New Testament, um, that it is a turning away from, but a turning towards. So God is calling us to turn towards him to repent, to humble our hearts before him and to turn towards him. There is a call, a call for God um, that, is, that is going out for, uh, for us that, um, that God is seeking us because he wants to dwell amongst us. I want to end with Psalm 51. This is a Psalm of David after he has sinned. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgression, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. That's that humble heart. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desire faithfulness 
even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that sacred place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be cleansed. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast, a steadfast spirit within me. And then it, he goes on and says, Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit and sustain me. And it carries on. This is David sitting before God as a hum, with a humble heart, with his face at the feet of Jesus, asking him to once again come and make his heart a sacred space, to once again come and dwell with him. And there's a call out there. I believe that God is saying, will you come with an honest heart? Will you come and sit before me? I am your God. You are my people. I want to dwell amongst you. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be with you. This is the God, the creator of the universe, who wants to dwell with us. And in the as God was speaking to me about this scripture, I just felt him calling us back to an honesty before him, an honest life before him, a life of holiness, a life seeking him, a life with a constant repentance in it, humbling ourselves before him, because he wants to come and do something in our lives. He wants to do something in our world, in our, in our, in our churches. He once again wants to create those sacred spaces that's been so commercialized. And this does not mean at all that there is a divide between us and the world. But we are living in a different way than what people live in the world. There should be people looking at your life thinking, but you are different than the next person. There is something sacred about you. There's something that you reflect that is attractive to me. And Paul says to some people, it will bring life and to others, it will bring death. People will be reminded of their lives because they see God reflecting in you, in your front line. So I want to pray for us today, Lord, that you would come and that you would restore our hearts, that you would once again make our hearts a sacred place. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come into our places of worship and make that a sacred place, a sacred space where you dwell and your presence is with us. Father, I pray that we will carry that sacred spaces into our front line and that you would dwell amongst us there, that in that place we can live humbly uh, before people, treating people 
not uh, treating ourselves not better than other people, but treating other people better than ourselves, serving other people, living out with confidence uh, the giftings that you have given us. Lord, I pray that we will carry that sacred space inside of us, into this world, into this nation, and that that nation, this nation will change because of your restoration of our hearts and that you are a God who dwells amongst us. Make us quick to hear and to make us uh, quick to see the needs of people around us. Lord, we come to you. We humble our hearts. We sit at your feet. We want to pray, come and work your humility inside of us. Come and work um, in us. Make us quick to repent, Holy Spirit. Make us comfortable with being uncomfortable with sin in our lives. Make us comfortable um, with God's presence um, and dealing with that sin in our lives ruthlessly. Help us to deal ruthlessly with pride in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.